Well, good morning. And good morning. Can I go behind the keyboard? (laughs) (laughs) I'm Tim. This is my wife, Jen. Nice to see you guys. Good to have you up here. We should do this every Sunday. No. (laughs) Jen's our guest speaker this morning. She doesn't know it yet. (laughs) You're dismissed. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, She actually writes my content every week anyway, so this would be be better. Um, uh, Jen and I just wanted to share a little bit with you guys uh, about some things that are going on uh, for us in the future. Many of you already know um, because you were at fall members meeting um, and some of you actually were at spring members meeting as well. You get an extra star in heaven maybe for coming to both. I don't know how that works. Um, but we, um, we're going to be going on sabbatical this summer. Okay, that's, that's the deal. And, and Jen and I were talking recently and we're like, we think there's some people who don't know that, you know, who didn't come to members meeting. <laughs> Anyway, and so we said, you know, it'd be good to talk that through because this is new for, for us as a church, you know, and there's questions about that, you know, what's going on, um, why is it happening, um, when is it happening, a lot of questions like that. So that's why, that's why you're here, and uh, we're, we're glad to have, I'm always glad to have Jen with me anywhere we go, uh, of course. Isn't that good? Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate that. Um, so I, I just want you to know that briefly. So we're just going to spend a couple minutes talking about that. Um, this summer, that's the deal, all right? Um, essentially, during the summertime, um, I've been granted a 10-week sabbatical by the elder team. Uh, it'll be basically June 6 to August 15, if I'm remembering it right. Um, and we just want to talk about that a little bit. First, at a global level, um, many of you have heard the concept of sabbatical before, not a new idea. You know, um, there are many, many, many churches who do that. Um, many institutes of, or institutions of higher learning do that as well. Um, and so as a church, we haven't done that yet, though. So we, we have talked to a lot of local churches about what they do and have created a sabbatical policy, which I think is pretty good for where we're at. Um, and so we've surveyed a lot of people locally and then nationally as well, just kind of had them feed into a sabbatical policy and what's going on with that. The, the why behind a sabbatical policy in general uh, is usually uh, because the organization has a long-term sustainability and long-term health of its staff in mind. And that's what is really behind this as well, is what does it look like for us to, to maintain long-term health and sustainability here at GPC? And what does a good rhythm of rest look like and a good rhythm of um, recovery and recharge look like? Typically, the Sabbath idea is what's behind sabbatical. The words are kind of together. So Sabbath, you know, seven, you know, seven days, seven weeks, whatever. Sabbatical is often every seven years is what is done. I've been at GPC now, believe it or not, over 13 years. Um, That's kind of amazing, actually, uh, to think about that. So I haven't done a sabbatical yet. Um, And just to share a little bit at a personal level, um, and I promise you can talk more sometime. I know you really want to. Um, Last summer... Okay, coming off of a vacation that we had, and our elder team is grateful, is, is really gracious with us to give us um, the ability to do two weeks back-to-back in the summertime, which is really helpful. Um, but I came off of a two-week vacation, and normally I feel good. Like, man, I've been gone. I start to get itching and ready to go for things toward the middle of the second week. And I'm like, there's something wrong with me. Like, the batteries are not recharging like they should be. It's not that I don't want to be here. It's like I want to be here and I see the good fight that we're in, but I, like, I don't have the energy to do it. Like, I, I want to, but I, I can't, but I don't want to not. Do you, you know what I'm saying? Like, I want this, but the batteries are drained. What's wrong with me? And so it honestly was confusing for me. I'm like, what's wrong? You know, what's going on? 
And so we had the conversation, had the conversation with the elder team, like, I want, I'm in the fight. Like, I'm here, you know. Like, I, I thought of the, Bra- the Braveheart analogy, not that I watched Braveheart, I think I watched it one time. How old is that movie anyway? Is that too old to reference? Is that, do I date myself badly by that? But the idea is, like, you're in the fight for a long time, you're on the front lines, and there's a time when you need to kind of step off and go back to camp and sharpen the weapons again and kind of then recharge and get back out there. But you don't go back to camp so that you can leave the battle. You go back to camp so that you can be better at the battle. And that's the way I feel. Like, I'm not uh, sick or falling apart in any other way that I know of. Maybe you can talk in a minute about that. <laughs> but I feel more like, I, man, I, I believe maybe more strongly than ever in the battle. Like, I, and that's why I'm like, I don't, what's wrong with me? Like, what's going on? Why am I feeling this way? What do I do with this? Because I believe in the fight at GPC. I believe in what we're doing. And I, and I, probably have never been more encouraged with where we are and where we're going and our, and our work out in our community and beyond. And so I'm sitting there like, eh, what's wrong? So this whole sabbatical thing kind of came in and the conversation began about, you know, is this kind of the piece that you're looking for for a recharge with that? I'm like, you know what? I think that's it. First, we want to hire a guy, not tell him that I'm going to go on sabbatical. <laughs> It worked because he didn't graduate yet. He didn't know that once you graduate, you'll get that. But, so after Kevin was here a couple of weeks, I'm like, hey, Kevin, let's go to lunch, man. Let's talk. Next summer, you're in charge, man, the whole, the whole deal. And uh, so then it was, I think, within his 30-day window. He's like, man, can I quit at this point? I'm like, no, no, you're in. Uh, no, just kidding about that. But we did have the conversation, and Kevin's known about this for a while. But the timing was right for this summer, to look at this summer and say we can take some time to kind of step back and, and charge up a little bit. So that's a little bit of the why for me personally. Did you want to add anything to that? Anything you were seeing or anything like that? That's good for the why? Okay. So that's the why. Um, what else was I supposed to say? What are we doing? Yeah, what we're doing. Okay. Um, uh, in terms of how this impacts you as a congregation, you should know that there's a, a small little like half sheet of paper um, on the foyer. On the foyer. Just on the foyer. On the Welcome Center. Thank you. This is why you're here. On the Welcome Center in the foyer, that is just a real quick, like maybe six-question FAQ on sabbatical. Like, who's going to be in charge? Answer, Kevin. Who do I talk to? Kevin. Who's going to do what? Kevin. You know, I mean, that's really Kevin's the answer for it all. And so we're so glad for that. We're going to start a whole lot of new programs in the summer, too. keep telling him, oh, we're going to start that in June. You're going to start that in June. Yeah, we're just going to keep starting things. uh, So Kevin and the elders are going to kind of be in charge. And a lot of things, we're not going to throw everything on Kevin, but there's going to be things that he'll run point or just designate. Elder team will be a little bit more involved as well. Um, And generally, I'll be away um, unless there's a real significant emergency, then I'll be called in. But otherwise, I'll I'll try to be away and try to actually recharge. and so what we're going to do is uh, we're going to just enjoy some family time. We're going to take a trip out west. Um, we're going to uh, do some vacationing with extended family, um, some reading, some home projects, some kind of recovery at home, that kind of deal. So we're not actually, I don't have a project that I need to do on the, on the back end of this. Um, the sabbatical is something we've written into the kind of policy of GPC. So the idea is for long-term sustainability of our full-time ministry staff, we want them every seven years to be able to do something like this. Okay, so this will become a little more normal. But for the first time, I wanted you to understand a little bit of the why and what we're doing. So. I think um, just what I wanted to share was that as I don't know how you all feel about it, but it feels funny to our family as well. Um, we've been here, like Tim said, for... Um, over 13 years now, our kids know nothing different. Um, Megan was, you know, not quite two when we came, so she doesn't remember being anywhere else. Um, the, you know, this is normal life to them. So 
we're not sure what it's going to be like to be together so much for 10 weeks. I might come into work, you know, in the office quite a bit. Um, it will be, it'll be fun. We're looking forward to it. Um, like, we've, we haven't really ever had, you know, on a Monday, hey, let's go away for the weekend. Like, we just, we go away, but we plan it very far in advance so that everything at church is covered. So it's going to feel kind of funny for us. Um, the kids were a little like, we're not going to be at church for 10 weeks. Like, what about our friends? Um, so you will likely see them once we're back from out west, uh, probably get a ride with grandma and grandpa or something like that. Um, so you will probably see them running around, hanging out at youth group and things like that, uh, just because we don't want them to, you know, feel like they're completely unplugged from everything here. Yeah, that's really good. So um, the FAQ sheet answers some more questions for you about the what's, the how's, the why's, and all that. Uh, it doesn't answer everything, so if you have more questions, number one, there's actually a policy. If you love reading policies, I would like to meet you because we need some help with that. But, but number two, we do have a policy if you want to read that. But secondly, you can also talk to any of the elders um, or, or Kevin uh, or myself, whatever you want to do. But we just want to lay it out and be open with you of what's going on and as open as we can be and not, you know, not surprise you all with, with what's going on, okay? So that's our sabbatical. We're looking forward to it. And at the same time, again, if I can say it again, like... I've never believed more that we're in the right fight. And so this, this step back off the front lines is to sharpen the weapons and come back and fight again. Like that conviction runs deep in me about what we're trying to do here. Uh, so that is not, that is not um, at, at play here at all, but we're just, we're ready to keep rolling. Um, so anyhow, that's what's going to go on in uh, June 6th, August 15th. All right. Anything else? Again? All right. Thank you. Thanks so much. Good to have you up here. All right. The attractive quotient just went down on the stage here. All right. Well, um, thank you for that time. Good to share that with you, and uh, looking forward to uh, to what that will be. Uh, I'd like to to roll, if I can, into where we're going this morning. Uh, we're in a series uh, we're calling to die for. The really simple deal on this is, I mean, hey, the bottom line of our Christian faith is that the Christian faith is not something that is just Sunday altering, but should be life altering. Believe it or not, people, real people, have actually died for the things that I often take for granted. And so I really, that just kind of wrecks my mind and heart sometimes that I so flippantly assume that I have the right to come to church and worship as I will. I so flippantly assume that I have access to the, the Bible and resources as if it's nothing. And yet the reality is men and women, young men and young women, children have died for the things which I just assume are, are easy access and cost me little. And so this series is meant to kind of reawaken that in us and say, well, this, this faith means something. This is something that people have died for. And we stand on the shoulders of people who have gone before us. And the, the blood, if you will, of the martyrs is kind of a reminder to all of us of this faith that is not something that we just kind of joke around with or mess around with. It's, it's, it's a big deal. I talked last week uh, in this series about the reality of faith being, while it is a simple thing, it can also be a little complex in a way. That anyone who's really good at doing something makes it look easy, right? You ever have that? You ever watch someone eat chopsticks and they've done it for a while and then you try and it's terrible? You ever see someone who's a really good singer and you're like, yeah, how hard can that be? And then you know, man, oh, that's hard, right? So it's people who make something look simple doesn't mean that it is simple. So when we talk about the idea of faith, that can sound simple. How hard can it be? And it's a very simple entry requirement, if you will, into Christianity. Just believe. How hard could that possibly be? And then all of a sudden, it's like when that belief comes square into your heart and soul and you have to react to that and think about faith, all of a sudden, there's nuances that we often don't think about. Last week, we talked about this one, that Christianity centers, Christian faith centers on Christ. 
that the author of the book of Hebrews, kind of a pastoral tone, was writing to the people there, and he's saying, listen, set your thoughts, fix your thoughts, put them on Christ. Like, you don't come to faith because Jesus guarantees you that your life will teeter from bad to good. That you'll get more good than bad if you just come to faith. That's never why you came to faith, is it? Because I know your life is worse than better now. Are you thinking about walking away? If you want to think about walking away, you can think about it, but if the reason you came is because you thought you'd get more good than bad, then walk away. Like, are you walking away because people who call themselves Christians are walking away? Like, you didn't come to faith because of other Christians, did you? Like, you didn't come to faith because a pastor said you should, did you? You didn't come to faith because a youth pastor said you should, did you? You didn't come to faith because a parent said you should, right? Like, Christianity centers not on other people, not on other Christians, but centers on Christ. And so the author of Hebrews is saying, Take, fix your thoughts. When you're tempted to walk, when you're tempted to diminish, when you're tempted to back down from, fix your thoughts again on Jesus and what he did. I mean, just put it there. This is where we center our faith, not on the witness of other people, not even on our circumstances, but Christian faith centers on Christ. And this is where we kind of hit last week. So faith... Right? Faith is our second movement in this series. The first movement in this 10-part series was about uh, Jesus being fully God and fully man and the implications of that. The second is about faith and what it means. It seems simple, but like anything that seems simple, when we kind of put it up on the lift and take it apart, man, it can be complex. Not too difficult, but it can be complex. And this morning we're going to hit another piece of faith, not where faith centers, but the struggle and the danger of what we hear about faith. Now, I want you to think for a minute. It won't take you long because likely a scenario will come to mind quickly. Have you ever been in a situation where you have spoken something to somebody and you expected them to hear it and they listened, but they did nothing about it? If you're a parent, your hand and your heart goes up right away. Like I've had that moment where... Why am I talking? I just told you not to. And you looked at me, you nodded your head, and you did. This was not difficult, right? I said, don't, and you did, right? Like, I remember clearly, as clear as day, um, back in the day when I was in ninth grade at Peckway Valley just a couple years ago, down at the uh, Together, what is now the Together Community Center, which is the old Paradise Elementary, we had ninth grade basketball practice down there. And so our coach... I think his name was Coach Hoover at the time, and Coach Lapp. Coach Lapp is still hanging out at Peckway, by the way. Um, but Coach Hoover was there, and we were really bad, like ninth grade boys. We were just terrible. We won no, no games, I think. I don't think we won a game. We scored four points in one game. We were sitting there in the TCC. I'm serious. It's really bad. That's a true story. But I scored half of the points, so I can always say that I scored half the points in one of our games, which sounds great until you tell the whole story, but anyway. Um, we were sitting there, and we were sitting under the basket. When you first walk into the TCC, there was a basketball hoop. And so he set us down there, and he's like, boys, stop nodding your heads like you understand because you don't. Like, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, okay, okay, like, okay, what do you want me to do? Like, I get it. Because he kept telling us things. Here's how you run the play. I mean, here's going to be our high-low entry-level offense, you know, coming from the high post down low, pop out, here we go. This is where you go. This is how you were like. And we go out there, we run around like chickens with our head cut off. We're like, ah, I don't know, you know, whatever, whatever. And so finally, after weeks of this, he's like, stop it. Stop nodding your head like you get it. It's okay that you don't get it. 
Like you, and it didn't help. We were still really bad. But here's the danger, right? Here's the danger for anyone who has grown up in the church or who comes to church and hears the truth about faith. Is that it is not difficult to have that experience of hearing the truth and hearing what is right, even the experience of your heart feeling compelled to move, even feeling a conviction, even feeling like, ooh, that was heavy, ooh, I need to do something about it. The danger is that we can think that's enough. Man, I heard it. I even kind of felt moved a little bit. I thought about thinking about doing something. And the danger of faith, and thinking that I'm a person of faith, is thinking that hearing is enough. Thinking that just if I'm present and hear the truth, maybe even am convinced or convicted a little, maybe even feel a little guilt, that somehow that's enough. And my fear for, for all of us, myself included, is that we just grow to be smarter sinners and not repentant people who can be moved to greater obedience. James, the brother of Jesus, puts it this way very simply, and he says it better than I do. Faith without works is dead. It doesn't exist. Faith without doing something about it doesn't exist. Call it something, but please do not call it faith if action doesn't follow. I'm going to put it this way for us this morning. That faith doesn't go through the ears to the brain, but through the heart to the hands. Faith doesn't go through the ears to the brain and live there as if it exists in the brain. And I've owned it. I've got it. I've got faith up here. I'm a person of faith. I'm, I'm, I'm a person of faith because I know the truth. I heard it. I was convicted about it. I was moved by something. It came through the ears. I heard it. I sat there nodding my head. But when it came time to play the game, faith doesn't do that. It goes through the heart to the hands. Man, this is a conviction, a depth of something, and I'm going to do something about this. This makes it very difficult. Very, very difficult. Now, if you have your Bible, I'd love to look with you. The book of Hebrews chapter 4, because the author to the people uh, here in the, in the book of Hebrews is writing kind of a pastoral poll, and he wants them to see again from a historical perspective kind of the danger of hearing and doing nothing about what you hear. A very profound example for us to learn from. Hebrews chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. I'm reading from the NIV. And by the way, if you don't own a Bible, there's a Bible in the pew near you. The book of Hebrews is in what we call the New Testament. Two-thirds of the way over is where you're going to find the New Testament. And you'll find Hebrews shortly thereafter. Um, I read from the NIV. Verses 1 and 2. Here we go. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us therefore be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard did not combine it with faith. Let's push the pause button right here and look at what we've just read. Verse 1, quickly. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, he's going to weave this idea of rest through the passage. The biblical idea of this is um, the concept of shalom, the fullness, the peace, the fulfillment that you want. 
the time when you sit around at home and you're like, oh, I wish I wasn't so stressed, right? Oh, I wish we could all just get along. Oh, I wish I could make the payment. Oh, I wish that whatever was easier. Oh, I wish I could sleep. Okay, all those oh, those those oh's that you have is that kind of longing for the peace, the rest that you were created for. It's a longing or yearning or reaching for something that is just out of reach that you wish you had more of or less of, depending on what you want. And this is kind of what the author is saying. Therefore, the promise of entering his rest still stands. The idea of a fullness of rest, very difficult for us to conceive of because we almost never have a full season of life like that. Sometimes we have a week, a month, but very difficult to have a full season of life where we experience just that satisfaction of rest. And he says, listen, that exists. That exists. Be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. All right, you have my attention. What do you mean? Verse 2, for we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did. Who are they? Who are you talking about? Who are the they? But whoever they were, the message they heard was of no value to them. No value to them. They're sitting there nodding their heads, but they don't get it whoever they were. Let me tell you about they. This is very cool. Very interesting. The they are the um, people of Israel in the Old Testament. You could if you want to. You don't have to because I'm not going to read the stories. I'm going to tell you the story, but I'm going to tell you where it's found so you know I'm not making it up. Okay? If you want to check the story, check it out in Numbers 13 and then into Numbers 14. In Numbers 13, the story is told of the people of Israel at a moment in time when they have come out of Egypt. Moses is their leader, and they're at a critical point in their history. They're at the point of, hey, we're just tired of walking away from Egypt. Where are we going? I mean, the wilderness thing is kind of fun, but what's our point? And Moses calls together 12 men. If you know this story, you know what's happened. He calls together 12 men to go spy out the land. Now, here's the 12 men. Just so you know, these are real people in real history. Here they are. Check this out. Isn't it a great name? By the way, if you're expecting or looking for children's names, this is going to be an awesome list for you to pull from. Shamua, number one. I mean, that's, that's awesome. They're there. Shamua, Shaphat, Caleb, Egal, Joshua, Palti, Gadiel, Gadi, Amiel, Sether, Nabi, Guel. I have no idea if I pronounce those right, by the way. If you don't know Bible names, just enter with confidence and without apology, and people think you're fine. I don't know. That's who these people are. These are 12 people representing 12 different tribes of the nation of Israel. And he says, he calls these people out, hey, you guys come over here. You go, and here's their commission. You have 40 days to spy out the land. And in Numbers 13, Moses lays it out to them. You take 40 days, I want you to go, and I want you to figure out, are these people weak or strong? Are they wealthy or not? Are their cities well fortified or not fortified? Hey, it's also early grape season, so cut off some grapes and bring it back. Yeah, true story. It's in the Bible. Kind of weird. Bring grapes back. Yeah, why not? They go to the land. They spend 40 days in the land checking out everything. Can you imagine what it would be like to be the nation of Israel at that time? There's not really a Twitter feed. There's not really a Facebook post up. There's not really blog info about it. You're just waiting for 40 days to figure out what your future will be. Because the whole reason that you've come out here into the desert in the first place is to go to the promised land. Like the call from Moses in Egypt was not, let's go to the wilderness. And we're going to go take the land. That's the call. And so here's the moment in the history of the nation of Israel. 40 days, we got these 12 spies going out. And if you are not one of these 12, and you're hanging out in the camp, and you're waiting with expectancy, what will it be like? When these people come back, and they come back after 40 days, 
They call a big meeting. Uh, Numbers 13 calls it a congregation. The congregation is gathered. And all the people wait expectantly to hear what's going to be the report because this is why we came here in the first place. We can't wait to hear what's going on. We're not sure. We're anxious. You know, what are they going to say? They were there. They spotted out. Hey, they got grapes. You know, pass the grapes. Anyway, what are they going to say? And if you know the story at all, here's what you know. The 10 of the 12, these 10, brought a bad report. They brought a report that said the people are too big. There's giants in the land. The cities are well fortified. They're stronger than us. This is an impossible task. By the way, isn't it difficult to pronounce all of the ten? And isn't it easy to pronounce the two? And you know why? Because the ten have faded from our memory. But the two, we name our children them, don't we? And these two, Joshua and Caleb, bring a report otherwise. Because at the report of the ten, the nation, they start weeping. They go to tears because they've been waiting forever for this report. And what they hear is, you can't do it. It's too big. The people are too strong. You are not, we are not able to move forward. And Joshua and Caleb are like, whoa, 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 whoa. Our God is bigger. Our God has called us to this. It is His battle, not ours. And in that moment, the people of Israel had a decision to make. What is the wisest thing to do? Listen to the ten? Or listen to the two? Now remember, Joshua and Caleb were not Joshua and Caleb yet. They were just two of twelve. What is wiser? These are all highly qualified men. These are all smart people. The nation of Israel isn't foolish. And if you know your Bible at all, you know what they do. They listen, of course, to the ten, which is probably what I would do too. And in that moment, and here's what's so important, in that moment, that night when they go to sleep, and when they heard the report, and they made a decision in their hearts to say, we're going to listen to the ten. It's the only smart thing to do. In that moment, if you would have asked them, are you a member of the people of faith? Are you a man of faith? Are you a woman of faith? The answer would have been yes. Of course I am. I'm an Israelite. We're people of faith. But history in Hebrews will tell you this. The moment that they made a decision to believe the ten instead of the two, they stopped being people of faith. Because faith isn't about hearing, it's about what you're going to do when you're presented with the obstacles that you can't think that you can overcome. And in that moment, that great difficult moment of looking at the obstacles and looking at the giants in the land, they said, we can't. And they lost their faith. They lost their faith. It is such a profound story. And so the author of Hebrews says, listen, Remember them? This is who they are. These are people who thought in that moment that they still had faith, but the reality is they didn't. Don't be like them. And he goes on to continue the story. And he says, 
they heard, but they didn't combine what they heard with faith. You see at the end of that verse, they heard, but they didn't combine it with faith. It's almost like you're hearing it, but there's an element of faith in which, which faith has almost like an agitating element to it. Faith in this context means obedience, okay? Faith is a synonym for obedience in this context. That obedience takes what you heard and solidifies it. Now, I'm going to just take a moment, try to do this quickly. Uh, this is going to be object lesson time because I think this is really helpful. Quick story for you. About 11 years ago, we lived in New Holland, not too far from here if you're not from the area. And uh, we had a little um, storm in our community, uh, well, throughout Lancaster County. Uh, the tail end of a hurricane came through and, and just plowed us over. And we all experienced that if you lived here. Um, our home in New Holland uh, was not built to sustain 11 inches of rain in 11 hours. It, it became kind of like a houseboat. And all around, our grass was flooded. Like, we couldn't see our grass anymore. There was water everywhere. And if, I think I may have even told the story a while ago, but just kind of nod along and agree if, if I did. It makes me feel better. Um, what happened, we have a cinder block basement in the house in New Holland, right? And so the water kind of gets down in, and it just starts filling up the block. Like, there we go. We got extra water in the walls. And then when, there's, when it rises to a certain level, it just starts pushing out of the walls. And it's like, literally, we could take a cup and put it here as the water flowed out about this level and fill up a cup and drink water if you really want to drink that water. You could do that. It was a lot of fun. It was, happened to be a Saturday, so I'm speaking the next Sunday. Normally, I have some time at least to, to do final prep, but I'm spending the whole day you know, in the basement sweeping water from the floor over to the sump pump so it can pump out to the yard so it can come back into the basement. And that was kind of a neat little thing. It was a little bit aerobic exercise. That was about all it was. After the thing was over, right after the storm was over, we're all sitting around like, that was terrible. You know, what are we going to do? And what if that ever happens again? And uh, our neighbors did some big several thousand dollar deal to waterproof their basement. We didn't and couldn't, and like, well, we got to do something. So I go to the hardware store. I grab some hydraulic cement. I'm really, really good at stuff like this, by the way. Um, get this kind of thing, hydraulic cement. I don't know if you ever used it, but it's a neat little thing. Uh, this is dry powder. Uh, um, I can't. I don't want to throw it on you. Anyway, it's dry powder in here. I'll, I'll put it in here so you can kind of see. We got dry powder. Um, oh shoot! You know what I mean? I don't have. So here's what happens. Let's just assume we have water. It would make the illustration much better. you have a water bottle, Shirley? Oh, this is going to be awesome. Thank you. I'm sorry. I'm going to take your, your ounces. Can I, can I take it? It won't be much. Thank you very much. Oh, you know, I have a water bottle here, too, somewhere. What? How do you open this thing? How does this work? You flip the thing? I should just thank you, Kevin. Thank you. Thank you. can tell he's going to be a graduate this weekend. He's thinking, all right. So we take some water, right? And so we add to it, and this is really pretty, pretty neat. We add to this little dry mix some water. Now, what I didn't realize about hydraulic cement is it really settles quickly. You ever work with hydraulic cement? Uh, I'm really bad at it. But all of a sudden, when you add enough water to this guy, in just a short amount of time, I'm able to, and this is what I ended up doing, I took this hydraulic cement and um, took it to the spots where there were holes in the basement. Yeah, and I sealed up the, the corner. I sealed up uh, the, uh, the, the, uh, where the cement, where the concrete block hit the cement floor because that was leaking like crazy. Looked around, there were cracks. I think a tree root had pushed into our cinder block wall and we, we filled that baby up. 
But just by adding and combining simple water to this powdered mix, and you know what's going to happen is very quickly something that had been powdered and kind of weak becomes in a moment solid. And even now you can tell this thing just in a matter of a few seconds. Isn't that neat? Look at that. I mean, it's, it's starting to solidify in a hurry. And this is what the author of Hebrews is saying. Like, don't think, don't think that because you have the carton of hydraulic cement that you've got faith. Like, you're stuck without the water like I was a minute ago. Like, if you don't add obedience to the stuff that you have, you don't have it. Like, I can't throw this on the wall and hope it's going to work. I've got to combine with my water to make it something solid. Because faith doesn't come through the ears, to the brain, but through the heart, to the hands. I've got to combine it and make it work. And this is what he was saying the problem was for the Hebrews. They heard it. Come on, they heard it. They knew it. But when pressed on it, man, they didn't do it. So they don't have it. He goes on to keep talking about the story a little bit of rest and how that works. And then he finally says a very convicting and challenging piece as the text goes on down to verses 9, 10, and 11. He says again to them, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. This is a really good point, really helpful, encouraging news. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. And then he makes a statement in verse 11. This is really profound and very insightful and ironic. Let us, therefore, make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. Now look at the irony of that. Like if you want to enter rest, it takes effort. How strange is that? But that's exactly what verse 11 says. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example. It's simple, isn't it? But it's hard. What kind of effort would it have taken? What kind of effort would it have taken for the nation of Israel to have believed in that moment the two are better than the ten? It would have taken a tremendous effort, a tremendous work of the will to believe both Joshua and Caleb and God. And there's ten smart people saying it's a bad idea. And here's the deal. Here's how this works for me, okay? Um, before I knock down my cement, I'm going to move this guy. Here's how this works for me. We tend to hear two people or two voices say that plan A is better, but ten voices say plan B. We tend to hear only two people say the right thing, but ten say something else. We tend to hear, you can take the land. You can do it. God is with you. Trust. Believe. But we only have two voices behind that. But we tend to have ten voices behind, you're not strong enough. They're bigger. You can never. There's no way. And here's what happens to the people of Israel. What happened to the nation of Israel? They, they died in mediocrity. Mediocrity killed them. They said, we're not willing to reach for faith and take the effort that it takes to get into God's rest. Therefore, you know, ten people, they're smart. We're going to play it safe. Let's draw it down. Ten smart people said it's a bad idea. I know two people said it was good. I know God said it was good too. But hey, ten people, ten voices said, now, plan B is better than plan A. 
and they died. The whole generation, 40 years wandering in the wilderness, God killed them all off because they didn't listen to the two. Profound. They lost the ability to call themselves people of faith in that moment. Here's where it gets hard. Let me, just, let me press it out personally now. So here's the deal. You have voices in your head about your identity, okay? You hear two voices say good things like, listen, your identity is image of God stuff. Like theologically true, that your value comes not from how you look or what you do or how you perform, but from believing that you are made in God's image. You are saved if you have placed your faith in Christ. You are saved through the grace of God. And everything you do on top of that is just bonus. But listen, God cannot love you anymore or any less, and your performance does nothing to change your inherent value. But you only have two voices that tell you that. And here's what you have ten voices of. You have ten voices of the world cares about your performance. You better look the best when you post stuff because that's what the world cares about. You better have enough people liking your things because that's where value comes from. Your performance matters. Your reputation determines your identity. That's what you have ten voices of. You have two voices over here reminding you of the truth. And you have ten voices over here leaning into what the world will tell you to do. We have two voices over here saying, here's what's important about your marriage that you are a, a husband who gives lovingly to his wife and a wife who gives lovingly to the husband and models a gospel-centric marriage and gives all that we have to one another in ongoing failure and grace and forgiveness and redemption. And anything, that any challenge, any challenge that you face in marriage can be overcome. I don't care how big the giants in the land are, that God is a God of restoration. The marriage is a microcosm of the gospel. Let's try to push into that. And you have two voices saying that, and then you have ten voices over here saying, it's his problem. It's her problem. I would be totally justified to care a little bit less. I would be totally justified. If everybody knew what I was dealing with, ooh, they would not condemn me in any stretch at all. And I'm given so much at work, who can expect me to give this much at home? I mean, oh, who could do that? You have two voices over here saying, you know what? Um, let's talk about purity for a minute. All right? That purity before marriage. You have two voices saying purity before marriage is a good idea, and here's why. You're going to end up with less scars. You're going to end up with less pain. You're going to end up with a life in which you can be honorable to your future spouse in a way that is God's design for you and really a great gift for you and your future spouse. You have two voices over here. You've got ten voices over here saying, come on, everybody's doing it. Everybody is. Everybody, what, do you live in the 1940s? Come on, everyone's testing the limits. Come on, grow up a little bit. It's not that big of a deal. You're just going to go from one person. It's just not that big of a deal. Like, just push the limits. It's fine. Like, not like you're killing anybody. I mean, how bad can it possibly be? You have ten voices over here, and you have two voices over here. And this is just kind of the way that this works when it comes to faith. There's always giants in the land when it comes to believing and doing the things that God wants me to do. And this is why faith is not just from the ears to the brain, but from the heart to the hands. And that is where it gets hard to do. And so here's the question. If I need to listen to the two voices, where do I go to hear them? If I need to listen to the two who are right, where do I get that from? And I love where the author goes next, in verse 12 and 13. Because here's the answer. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. 
Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So the author appeals, he says, you want to know? You want to know what to do? You want to know where to get the voices that are right? The Word of God is living and active. It will cut your motivations for you. It will help you see the truth. It will give you an objective perspective. And it may give you a minority perspective. But just remember, we name our children Joshua and Caleb, and we can't even pronounce the names of the other ten smart guys because they faded from our memory. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and it cuts between us, and it says, if you want to enter the rest, if you want to feel peace, take what you say you believe, mix it with obedience, and make something solid, worthwhile, worth having. Faith isn't through the ears to the brain, but through the heart to the hands. So here's where I'm going. We know that faith isn't heard, it's lived. And so the question is, Lord, what do I need to do now? And isn't that what this message is leading to? What do I need to do now? Like, what is it that if I'm honest... I hear the two voices. I hear plan A. And I think it's actually a good idea. But honestly, I got ten people over here who are telling me, man, I shouldn't. Here's another good smart idea. It seems wise. I hear the two. I hear it. But I I got ten. We live in a democracy after all. I hear the two, but nah. I know I should try. I know I should give. I know I should forgive. I know I should trust. I know I should steward better. I know, I know, I know that. But come on, man. Who does that? Who does that stuff? And so here's where I want to wrap it up this morning. Typically, at the end of the service, we have worship team come up and play a song and a reflection and all that. We're going to, in, in place of that, I'm going to play a short video for you here. <clears throat> a song um, meant to draw out for us the idea, again, of responding by the author, uh, song, uh, artist uh, Plum wrote this. As you listen to the song, <clears throat> the song is going to focus on, Lord, I'm ready now. Like, I'm ready now to do the things that I should do. I don't know what that is for you. Right? I don't know what that is. Maybe something small. Maybe a matter of anxiety. Worry unnecessary distrust. I don't know what it is. But if there's something in your heart that you're saying, man, I wish I could, but the giants are so big in this land. Consider it. Because we remember the two and have forgotten the ten. Let's listen to this from Plum. And then we're going to come back and draw you through some more things. Here we go.